you remember like one of the first times we ever got behind the mic? And I was doing the whole thing the guy's doing at the beginning of the movie. Like, holding out my fingers, make sure I'm good distance away. <laughs> yeah, the little you know about podcasting it before doing this. It comes from the King's speech. Yes, it does. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> shit fuck bugger. <laughs> yes. If I could shit fuck bugger across your threshold and speak to you myself. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming. This is Sorry Mom Productions. Coming to you live from the basement of a Hoosier Heartland home. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, we are covering the Academy Award-winning 2010 film, The King's Speech. Hi, Tom. It's Tom Hooper, guys. He's, he's one of my director boyfriends. Yes, he is. Him and Chris Columbus have so far made the cut. We'll see who else. <laughs> Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. Don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks who want everyone to come and join this little watch party. And guys, if you are not yet a little onion at the $5 tier on Patreon, give us your money. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't say it that way. You wish I'd stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We love them. We just want them to be part of our little fan club. Of course. Please, come and join us. Come join the 10 of us. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting ready to release our Golden Girls coverage. That's absolutely right, folks. Come on. I I bet the six of us who are patrons are just fitzing. Like. <laughs> so come and join the little watch party, and thank you for being a friend. Thank you so much. All right, we got to get started. I know. Isn't it? Oh, Carrie, it's a historical drama. I know this is where you thrive, <laughs> and this is where I listen patiently. <laughs> While I regale you with tales of dirty imperialists. <laughs> <laughs> My husband is, um, well, he's required to speak publicly. I have received. <laughs> Perhaps he should change jobs. And what of my husband with a king? My husband has seen everyone. Insert them into your mouth. He hasn't seen me. I can't cure your husband, but I need total trust. What was your earliest memory? I'm not here to discuss personal matters. Well, why are you here then? Because I bloody well stammer! Do you know any jokes? Timing isn't my strong suit. <laughs> your methods are unorthodox and controversial. No, 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 no. Up comes your royal hands. It's actually quite good fun. Yes. <laughs> Art thou feared? It's your peculiar. I take that as a compliment. War with Germany will come, and we will need a king whom we can all stand behind. He's afraid of his own shadow. The nation believes that when I, I speak, I speak for them. But I can't speak. You could do it. You needn't be governed by fear. It'll be like mad King George the Stammer. 
get up. You can't sit there. Get up. Why not? It's a chair. That is, that is St. Edward's chair. People have that, carved their names. Listen to me. Listen to me. Why should I waste my time listening to you? Because I have a voice. Yes, you do. Your greatest test is yet to come. What's he saying? I don't know, but he seems to be saying it rather well. Your first wartime speech. Broadcast to the nation and the world. This great time of crisis. However this turns out, I don't know how to thank you. Bertie, you're the bravest man I know. I intend to be a very good queen. To a very great king. Forget everything else and just say it to me. My first note is your boyfriend Tom Hooper is here. Guys, I we don't have enough time <laughs> for me to sit here and tell about how much I love Tom Hooper. RIP, he passed away in 2019 after he released Cats. You're fucking shitting me. I am. It's a joke, but like... Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you were doing a bit. I thought he was actually gone. Uh, no, no, Carrie. <laughs> you mean that you just failed... He's, he's dead to me after Cats. <laughs> but the time we spent together was amazing. <laughs> Guys, HBO's John Adams. Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. The Danish girl. I'm not giving you a pass on the Danish girl, Tom. Absolutely not. Could have cast a trans woman, but no. No, like even... <laughs> What's that guy's name? Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, even Eddie Redmayne was like, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. Uh huh. He's also notable for uh, East Enders. He also did the uh, HBO miniseries about Queen Elizabeth I, which I've not watched. But since it's Tom Hooper, I would likely consider it. It's got Helen Mirren. Right. Yeah. That's amazing to me that you haven't seen that yet. I know. I know. But you know what I have seen? What? John Adams. <laughs> Watch out, Patreon. <laughs> Watch out. We are coming for you in July. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, just like to take this moment to say that uh, Alexander Desplat is the composer. Right. And uh, I didn't, I the first time I became aware of Alexander Desplat is because he scored the final two Harry Potter installments. Oh, that was where music and was very important. Obviously, the whole tone of Harry Potter is just, it just gets darker as you go through. Much like adulthood. But that, la- but those final two films, the music in those final two films is something special mm-hmm. and puts you in a the correct headspace to have that final experience. It carries it quite nicely for me. I'm sorry. I only laughed because my second note is this movie was so boring to me when I came out. <laughs> And like, listen, upon watching it again, it's not that boring. And it wouldn't be, it would not have been as exciting for you back then as it would have been for me. Exactly. Back then. Because I'm into this stuff. You are arguably not into this stuff. And so, yeah, it's okay if you think it's boring because it is boring to you. I also don't deny that it does have value even if it is about a dirty imperialist institution <laughs> that I don't believe should exist anymore. And you also believe that, but that's, I an, do. that's an entirely separate conversation. Speaking of value, a $402 million profit. That's insane. That's one of the higher numbers we've heard on this show. It is an Academy Award winner for Best Picture. So a little bit a little bit of background here before we get into we've got names. If you guys don't watch The Crown, <laughs> you know what? I would like to consider this in the Peter Morgan family, the 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 royal the royal mafia. 
all of those creators that are constantly pushing the royal family content, like the crown and the queen and the audience. And it's, it's all <laughs> Peter Morgan and like his little posse. And like sometimes the Downton crew helps, you know, because <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, I would like to group this in there, but like, it's not. It, it's funny. I think it's funny that Helena Bonham Carter plays Queen Elizabeth in this movie and then plays her daughter Princess Margaret in The Crown <laughs> like yeah I agree do you know how many queens Helena Bonham Carter is portrayed I mean it's appropriate she is herself a queen I know but more on that in a minute <laughs> David Seedler is the screenwriter and he actually started writing this back in like the 80s wow and like it came through the grapevine that this project was happening and the Queen Mother herself was like, hey, <laughs> it's me, Queen Liz. What's up? Remember me? I was queen for 17 years. Um, Could you not do that <laughs> while I'm still alive? She's casually smacking their hand like, don't do that. She was like, oh, darling, just wait till I've kicked the bucket and then you're allowed <laughs> to do whatever you please. And that's kind of how it worked. And, you know, the Queen Mother passed away in 2002. So obviously, you know, as soon as that came on the wire, David Sleeler was like, okay, <laughs> act one, scene one. Let's green light this picture. <laughs> but folks, you might have guessed it. We have names. Oh my God. Have we done a Colin Firth movie yet? Oh, guys, please welcome to Kicking and Streaming in his very first appearance, Mr. Colin Firth. I love Colin Firth. He is portraying our protagonist today, His Majesty, George VI, King of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and the British Dominions over the seas. <laughs> Emperor of India. No, just listen. <laughs> Just listening to you list all of those dominions over which he has rule made me physically sick. Oh, do you do you need a rundown? Uh, the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth realms? No, I don't need a full okay, rundown. Okay, so it's Great Britain, it's Canada, New Zealand, it was Ceylon, which is Sri Lanka now, it was Pakistan, Australia, South Africa, which was known as Rhodesia. No, this is this is starting to look gross on me, isn't no, it? Yeah, no. Did you guys notice how quiet I was after I deliberately told him not to tell me? Anyway. Get back to Colin Firth. Colin Firth, guys. He is speckled all throughout your film viewing lexicon. We've got, you know, come on, that Pride and Prejudice. Absolutely. That's where most of us fell in love with him. Uh-huh. He's he's in The English Patient. He's in Shakespeare in Love. He's Bridget. He's the one of the guys from Bridget Jones' Diary. Mama Mia! Yeah, he's from. I knew you. I, I knew you'd be the one to mention, Mamma Mia. He's also in a movie called A Single Man, which is based off a book I had to read for my queer studies class. Tom Ford. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's also he's uh, Bill Hayden in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He's an MI6 agent. Uh, there's the Kingsman. The, uh, I, Listen, I, I've never seen any of those movies, but they look kind of lit. Oh, like, Ross, you would love the shit out of those. Like I always, I've seen the trailers when I would go to the movies. I'd see the trailers for them and be like, that looks pretty boss. I know you're not into action movies, but I believe you would love those movies. And who could forget Love Actually? <laughs> I could. I mean, <laughs> you know, didn't care for it, huh? <laughs> no. You know what, folks? Here he is again. 
Ah! This creep darkens our doorway again, but you know what? He's a great actor. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it too. I don't even want to remotely give him a compliment. No, you're right. But- I, I, and I shouldn't. He's a fucking creep. Please welcome back fucking creep, Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> <laughs> He's been with us before on the show. He was with us when we did Elizabeth. Jeffrey's playing Lionel Logue today. I love the character. Hate you, Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> you know, Jeffrey Rush, he was also in fucking Shakespeare in Love. He's the Marquis de Sade in Quills. He's Captain Hector Barbosa in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's in that weird 98 adaptation of Les Mis. <laughs> I think it's got like Christopher Walken in it too. Like, Wait, I don't no. know. Isn't Liam Neeson in it yeah, also? Yeah, he is. Just a bunch of people who do not fundamentally belong in that project. I might be wrong about the Christopher Walken thing, but isn't that kind of Christopher Walken's thing? He's where he doesn't belong. <laughs> yeah, he's just like. God damn it. He's the most oddly placed actor ever. Guys, uh, please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, gracing us with her presence yet again, Helena Bottom Carter, HBC herself. My queen. A queen uh, through the decades, actually. <laughs> yeah. She has played like all the queens. She In 1986, Lady Jane, about Jane Grey, who was queen for nine days. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, HBC is playing the dear queen mother today, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Guys, we're doing Sweeney Todd this Halloween. Guys, we're doing Frankenstein. <gasps> no! We must do Frankenstein. That is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> she, she is arm flapping. Oh my God. I love that movie so much. <laughs> I, I I love that one. And I, my favorite performance has to be Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. <laughs> I love that you bring that up ironically. <laughs> I bring that up every time I talk about HBC. <laughs> Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming, Guy Pierce. <laughs> um, I don't know much of Guy Pierce. Carrie knows more about Guy Pierce than me. No, do you remember when I paused the movie and I went, is that Guy Pierce? You sure did. You sure did. <laughs> like, of people who really don't belong in this movie, he's one of them. The thing is, is that the week before we watched this, I saw him in in a Guillermo del Toro horror movie, and he's totally American in that movie. Okay. And I'm just like, there's just something that is Ethan Hawkish about him to me. I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's uh, so it's he, not appealing, and it's not his fault. So here's some things I'm recognizing. Uh, I don't know what The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert is. I, I've seen that name I've seen that subject's name before. That's a queer film. Is it really? I believe it is. Okay. There's The Hurt Locker. I've seen that title out there before. That's a movie that in no way appeals to me. Prometheus. That's an alien movie. That's Ridley Scott. Yeah, that's the alien saga, isn't it? Anyway, nice to have you here, guy. You're playing, uh, who are you playing today? You're playing (laughs) the eternal fuck-all of the British crown. The Nazi king of England himself. God damn it. His His Royal Highness, the Duke of Windsor, who was King Edward VIII for like 11 months in 1936. Until he abdicated so he could marry a woman who was a divorced American. Mm Mm-hmm. Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Timothy Spall. Oh, God. I know. You don't like looking at him, do you? I mean, listen. It's the worm tail of it all, isn't it? Yeah, I don't like to be ugly about people's looks. People have no control over how they were born and grew up. He just, when I look at him, 
he unsettles me, and I have every reason <laughs> to believe. I showed her a picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she giggled. <laughs> I have every reason to believe it's the Peter Pettigrew of it all. No, so yeah. he just kind of looks like a rat. It's not my fault. It is the fault of Harry Potter. So <laughs> as Carrie says, you'll know him as Peter Pettigrew from the Harry Potter saga. Uh, he's in Sweeney Todd. Yes, he is. He's also he's another frequent Tim Burton flyer because Tim Burton is all about the British mafia of actors. The Beatle, the Beatle, the Beatle. I think there's more British about t- Tim Burton than there is American. To be quite honest, <laughs> it's Helena's fault. I know, uh, guys. He was he's been with us before. He was Nick in Chicken Run, <laughs> one of the rats. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm sorry to this man. <laughs> sorry, Tim. Love you, Tim. We love you. You're great. He's also known for his portrayal of Sir Winston Churchill, not only in this movie. There's multiple projects? I love I love it when that happens with actors. They play the same character, but in two completely different subjects. So he's been Winston before. He's been Winston before on camera. It's called Jack Boots on Whitehall. And I think it's a, oh yeah, alternative history. <laughs> okay, in which Nazi Germany has seized London. Oh no! Oh no! Oh my, yeah guys, sorry to say it, we will be talking about the Nazis today. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he's laughing about that because I always accuse him of bringing it back to Nazis. <laughs> having something to do with Hitler. But literally, this week's narrative does have I'm... to do with Nazis. So, you know what, guys? Some other honorable mentions. We've got Derek Jacobi in here. He's playing <laughs> the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, or Cosmo Gordon Lang. A Shakespeare whore, if I've ever seen one. A, sh- a total Shakespeare whore. <laughs> the stage presence of him. I love it. Ian McKellen's ex. <laughs> yes! From the 60s. Like They were never together. Together. I know they weren't. They were interested in each other, I but know. neither one of them knew it. I know. I love it. I just, I, we love Jarek Dacovy. <laughs> Which is how I referred to him in my notes. He's in that, he's in that god awfully long Kenneth Branagh adaptation of Hamlet that we love. I love it so much. He's Claudius in that, isn't <laughs> yes, he? Yes, he is. The bad dad. <laughs> the bad dad. Yeah. <laughs> Please welcome back Jennifer Ella. She was with us when we did Contagion er- earlier. <laughs> She was the one who infected herself with the uh, vaccine. Dr. Hextall. Yes. That was almost a year ago. It was. Christ on stilts. (laughs) I cannot believe that. She is portraying Myrtle Logue, who is uh, Jeffrey's fucking wife. Sorry. I'm mad that Jeffrey's back. (laughs) What a creep. Also, Michael Gambon. He's notable for being in, you guessed it, Harry Potter. He's, He's Albus Dumbledore, guys. He is portraying King George V. All right, I, we, we've been talking for, what, a half hour? It's been 33 minutes. <laughs> we begin with some on-screen text. Nineteen twenty-five, King George V reigns over a quarter of the world's people. He asked his second son, the Duke of York, to give the closing speech at the Empire Exhibition in Wembley, London. I love that little piano opener. It's so nice. It's cute. It's like, you know this isn't going to be all sunshine and, you know, rainbows, but... The Duke of York is Prince Albert. He's the son of King George V and Queen Mary. Which would make him King George VI? Technically, yes. Okay, just just for everybody playing along. This, this narrative mostly covers the Queen's father. 
This is him. This yep. is this is Prince Albert. He was the Duke of York before he was King George the Sixth, and that's funny. Monarchs can just do that. They can just change their name, <laughs> like Prince. And he was probably advised to do that to align with his father instead of you know his brother. You can't do King Albert because it sounds too German. Anyway, the, when we start out. Albert is Duke of York. We're going to call him Bertie. That's what his family called him, right? Bertie. Bertie, yeah. And when we find him in 1925, he's married to Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, who is now the Duchess of York. Uh, she was a Scot- the daughter of a Scottish aristocrat. She's the daughter of the Earl and Countess of Strathmore. And the mother of the current Queen, Elizabeth II. Mm-hmm. And her sister, Princess Margaret, <laughs> who Helena Bottom Carter is also playing. <laughs> I know you love that. <laughs> it's just, it's hilarious. The Duke of York, um, he is, you know, it, it has been in an awkward position his whole life. He's the spare. You know what I mean? An heir and a spare. His, his, you know, his great grandmother is Queen Victoria, and he's got lots of family members on all different thrones of Europe. The important thing is, you know, he has still been bestowed a very important role within the British monarchy, which is the dukedom, the dukey. You don't want me to call it a dukey. I do not want you to call it a dukey. The, du- <laughs> the dukedom of York. We're gonna be real class throughout this. I can feel it. Okay. <laughs> he he's the Duke of York, so he still has an important role within the hierarchy. But like at the same time, he's the spare. Not a lot has always been expected of him. He's not been groomed to be Prince of Wales or the heir to the throne. That's his older brother David. Because the thing about Bertie, the thing about King George the Sixth, is that he had through most of his life a really horrible stutter, what they would call a stammer, on their side of the pond. But he's got a legitimate speech impediment that, you know, started from the time he was a very young child and persisted through most of his adult life. And what this story is about is about him getting treatment for this stutter because he's starting to be put into greater roles by his family. He's, you know, starting to support the crown more. He, But all he's ever done is being in the Navy. You know, he doesn't have the chutzpah, he feels like, to do great things like his brother or his father. He needs confidence lessons. He does. And the thing is... Mm, his brother, David, his prospects are not so... Uh, Agreeable? No, not to the establishment, no. And so he has to, like, he has to, you know, be prepared to take on more as his brother lets more slip. Because he wants to... Because his... He, he does. He wants to make daddy happy. You can say it. You can say it. I was actually going to say because his brother wants to marry a divorced American. But what you said is also true. We'll get there. <laughs> when we find the Duke of York, he's nervous as fuck. Yeah, he's got a big speech. His wife is standing there with him. She's trying to coddle him. She's like, it's going to be fine. You're giving you're just giving the close. You're just giving the closing address to like one of the biggest events there's ever been in history. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. I have received from His Majesty the And you know what, guys? Sometimes you go out there and you open your mouth and you fuck up. This happens multiple times. I, the Duke of York just it's just part of him at this point yeah it's never been treated and now he's a fully grown man still dealing with it which listen if you are an adult still living with a speech impediment we in no way mean to make fun of you oh no not at all or malign you not at all this is a specific problem that demands specific treatment birdie just hasn't had it yet no it's never too late (laughs) right it's never too late 
Uh, you know, it erodes all his self-confidence and consequently his elocution is just poor. When he's about to go on, he looks like he's waiting to be killed. Oh no! That's what his face looks like. This note I have in all capital letters, there are so many people here to hear him, I would positively choke. Yeah, it's just, um, it's it's a big deal, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he gets up there and that light goes, blinks four times and he's on. Yeah, all the dead air that is happening while he's silent in front of the mic. Public speaking is hard, and your nerves get the better of you even if you don't have impediments. Yeah, this is in no way comparable to Birdie's situation, but you and I were both the speakers of our graduating class. We were. Yes, we were. I had a great speech. It was a good speech. I delivered it confidently, and it wasn't until I was stepping away from the podium that I became aware of how much my legs were shaking. Oh, yeah, I remember shaking too, yeah. Oh, God, just speaking in front of a crowd that huge. I know, I know. It's so staggering. It's so incredible. I I can't, oh, my God. And, you know, we had to watch this in speech class. (laughs) Yeah, you said that last week. Susie Chef, what's up? If you're listening, (laughs) hello. (laughs) I hope you're doing well. Me too. Thank you for the education, ma'am. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Bernie's been seen by several accredited physicians, and but like, it's 1925, as I say, and some of these physicians are encouraging him to smoke as a way to relax his larynx. Bernie would go on to die from smoking. Oh, God. So, yeah. I know. This is almost 100 years ago this is taking place now. Here's the thing. I love it when he's with that one physician, and he's telling him to put the marbles in his mouth and talk through them. A fight against those marbles, your royal highness. A little more concentration, Your Royal Highness. Is this where the term marble mouth comes from? I don't know if it comes specifically from this, but... but... Helena Bonham Carter would also like to know. <laughs> He's put far too many marbles he, in his mouth. He, he made him put seven marbles in his mouth and try to talk. Like, he's gonna inhale one of them, dude. Like Sir, you, whatever your name is. Like you did. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> you don't want to talk about how you swallowed a ball bearing? And I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> okay. Alright, fine. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. And, like, here's the thing. His Royal Highness, the Duke of York, King George VI, he had a temper. Absolutely. The British establishment had a fucking code word for the temper. <laughs> Nashville. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> Not Nashville. <laughs> his, his private secretaries would be like, Nashville, Nashville, Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> He's throwing shit. Oh, Billy, swallow the bloody things. Thank you so much, Doctor. It's been most, um, interesting. You know what? I'd get mad, too. If I were Bertie, I'd feel woefully misunderstood by everyone. I mean, it's hard not to. Because people think he's weird. Yeah. People, that, people think that he's a strange person because he can't speak what they feel like is correctly. But he literally just turns to Liz and he's like, promise me no more. No, I, I can't do this anymore. And cut to Her Royal Highness the Duchess of York doing more. <laughs> um, she has sought out a new, less reputable speech therapist in Harley Street under the name... Johnson. This is with Lionel Logue, speech therapist. Oh, Mrs. Johnson, there you are. Sorry, I don't have a receptionist. I like to keep things simple. Mm. Poor and content is rich and rich enough. Sorry? Shakespeare, how are you? 
How do you do? Oh, chuffing along. Don't like you, Jeffrey, but I love Lionel. I know. Hate that. Lionel is a failed actor who, even at his ripe age, cannot get a part acting in Richard III. Like, if there's one thing the acting world is lacking, it's aging actors. And he can't even get a part in Richard III. Can we also talk about the Aussie bashing? Uh-oh. Like, all throughout this? Yeah. And and here's the thing. I mean, I know it's probably not an intentional thing. It's probably just a depiction of how it was. In those times, they thought of Australia as a prison island where only criminals and reprobates lived. I love Lionel. He's got a good heart. He's doing good things. He's helping people. I actually love that his last name is Logue. Because of dialogue? Yeah, no, it's the latter half of the word dialogue. (laughs) And he's a fucking speech therapist. Like, no one could have planned this better. Well, we need to have your hubby pop by. Uh, Tuesday would be good. He can give me his personal details. I'll make a frank appraisal, and then we'll take it from there. Doctor, forgive me. Uh, I don't have a hubby. We don't pop. And nor do we ever talk about our private lives. No, you must come to us. I'm sorry, Mrs. Johnson, my game, my turf, my rules. I understand Lionel's position in the sense that he knows as a therapist, he cannot make this relationship between himself and a patient work unless they're willing to treat each other as equals. Yes. I love how she's like, you're very sure of yourself. And he's like, I'm sure of anyone that wants to be cured. (laughs) It doesn't matter who the patient is. Lionel is confident that he can help this person get past their stutter. Absolutely. Or any or their speech impediment of any kind. And what of my husband with the Duke of York? Duke of York? Yes. I thought the appointment was for Johnson. Forgive me, your... Royal Highness. Royal Highness. Yes, Johnson was used during the Great War, when the Navy didn't want the enemy to know he was a ward. Am I considered the enemy? You will be, if you remain unobliging. And I'm like, okay, Liz, you're laying it on a little thick here. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, obviously, what's Lionel going to do? Say no. (laughs) Right? (laughs) The Duke of York is seeking treatment from you. (laughs) I love that little scene we get with them at home. Jennifer Ella is too young for him. For Jeffrey Rush? Yeah, Myrtle. Like, it's. I think it's funny the way they've dressed her up to look much older. <laughs> but, like, it, it's quite... The gap is quite obviously there. Yeah. And, you know, Lionel's a family man. He loves his wife. He loves making toy airplanes with his kids and pretending, doing pretend Shakespeare with the boys and everything. Like, by all accounts, he's a good husband and a good dad. Yeah. Which makes me want to love him, even though it's Jeffrey fucking Rush. And then... In the next scene, we get the flip. We get the flip. We look into 145 Piccadilly. Oh, God, not this fucking scene. Where the Yorks live. Oh, my God. King George, future King George. He's not king yet. Birdie. 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 Birdie is going to visit his children, one of whom we know is the future Queen of England. Yeah, it's Lilibet and Margot. <laughs> oh. In this scene, we realize that Birdie's speaking abilities may be lacking, but his improvisation is pretty good. Yeah. Like, he tells his kids this story about a penguin who can't fly, which is really funny because he's wearing a tux. And from there, he took the 230 to Weybridge, changed to Clapham Junction, asked a, a, a passing mallard the way to Buckingham Palace, <laughs> swam up the Thames, out through the plug hole, and gave the cook 
Mama and Mrs. Whitaker quite a shock. <laughs> and like what I love about this scene is that it doesn't matter that he cannot vocally tell a story to save his life, but his little girls are not even remotely phased by it. They're just happy to have a crumb of attention from their very busy father. You know, I, even though they're still dirty imperialists, I still like to think that, you know, Bertie and Liz gave... Elizabeth and Margaret, what they needed. That's you wanting to believe the best in people. <laughs> and I... No, because... Helena, no, because Liz is totally checking her watch while he's telling that story. <laughs> I don't know if you catch her doing it. I but... didn't. God, I love you, Ross, so much. You want to believe the best in people. And sometimes you And you're... that probably didn't happen, did it? <laughs> no! <laughs> God. Okay. When the Duchess finally does bring Bertie for their first meeting with Lionel. I love it when they finally get in there and he, like, Bertie and Lionel sit down in the same room. Does he know that he is the Duke of York at this point? He does. He okay. does. He's being hella awkward about it. No, he is waiting for Bertie to commence a conversation. He's waiting for him to start the conversation. It's royal protocol. Absolutely. <laughs> You have to wait for them to speak first. It's weird. Well, I believe when speaking with the prince, one waits for the prince to choose the topic. Waiting for me to commence a conversation, one can wait rather a long wait. <laughs> and the composition of the shots in this scene where they are alone in the shot, but they are slightly off-center. Oh, yeah, you were saying about the headspace. Yeah, no, there is a lot of headspace in the shots in this movie, and the way they are presented off-center in these shots, it's meant to make us uncomfortable. You think so? Yes, absolutely. What was your earliest memory? On earth, do you mean? Your first recollection. I'm not here to discuss personal matters. Why are you here, then? Because I bloody well stammer! When did the defect start? I've always been this way. I doubt that. Don't tell me it's my stammer. It's my field. I can assure you no infant starts to speak with a stammer. Colin Firth does such a good job stammering. Yeah, you I... know what I mean? I notice that a lot. Like, when you get a no as an actor to stammer, it's very easy to focus on the consonants, like the... Like that kind of thing. But the way Colin Firth does it, it's like the words are literally caught in his throat mm -hmm. and he's choking on them. Yeah. The struggle is just so much more real. And it makes me uncomfy. Absolutely. You know, and th it, that's and that's not meant to be disparaging at all. No, it's, that's our hang up as people who don't have stammers. Exactly. I just love that it's already not going well. And then he pulls out a cigarette and puts it in his mouth. And Logue's like, wait a fucking minute. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally like, please don't do that right now. This is the 30s. <laughs> this is the 30s. Everybody. Body smoke, and he's like, "Why the hell not?" And he's like, "I think sucking smoke into your lungs will kill you." 
And boy, was he right. And the and you know, like he'll never get help. Like you said earlier, he'll he'll never get actual help until he let he lets the deference go. No, he's com- like Lionel is completely attempting to subvert the existing power dynamics here because he's got to be subservient, right? Yeah, it's just a wild position to have in post World War One England. I think that you have to be a degree of supplicant in order to receive assistance of any kind you know what i mean exactly this is obviously going nowhere but we have one more thing we want to try don't we yes so lionel's like okay and you're gonna pop on these headphones and you're gonna read this aloud and he takes the book and it's it's hamlet it's the to be or not to be passage from is what is that act three yeah one of my favorite soliloquies in in all of shakespeare you're not special for that of course i know i'm not (laughs) I'm an English major, for Christ's sake. God damn it. Anyway, continue. That was rude. I'm so sorry. I withdraw my comment. How very goddamn dare you. I will resume my seat and leave under 94A. I love that he puts the headphones on. He's like... You're playing music. I know. So how can I hear what I'm saying? Well, surely a prince's brain knows what its mouth's doing. You're not well acquainted with all princes, are you? You're playing music. And he's like, I know. And he's like, how the fuck am I going to hear myself? And he's like, that's the point. And he's like, that's the point, Bertie. Let's go. And, you know, we hear we hear the music. We don't hear him giving the soliloquy. But by all accounts, we can see that he's reading it. And then he just take, he just yanks the headphones off. And he's like, this is hopeless. This is fucking hopeless. And he's like, no, this is not going to be for me. And he leaves. He doesn't understand that the whole point of this exercise is so that he cannot hear his own voice, the cadence of which throws him way off. And, like, the, the thing that's really sad about it is that he's still not hearing himself. I know. You know what I mean? To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. As we know, later on, he will re-listen to that because he tells him to take the recording as a souvenir. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, what the hell? And just takes it anyway. I'm glad he keeps it. I know. <laughs> we are transported to 1934 <laughs> at Sandringham House in Norfolk. This is one of the royal family's private estates. So this doesn't belong to the public. This is their house. Barf. I know. It's a huge, <laughs> it's a palace. It sucks. Like, Michael Gambon is here. King George V, Grandpa England, as <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what Queen Elizabeth II would call her dear grandfather, Grandpa King George V. <laughs> Grandpa England. <laughs> Literally what they would call him. <laughs> He's Albus Dumbledore. He's Grandpa England. Oh my God. (laughs) They couldn't have picked an actor with a greater speaking voice to be his father. Like, it is salt in the wound for this character. No, yeah, King George V was a great public speaker. I know! Great. For the present, the work to which we are all equally bound is to arrive at a reasoned tranquility within our borders. To regain prosperity at this time of depression without self-seeking and to carry with us those whom the burden of the past years has disheartened. 
And the thing is, King George V was a lot of things. And I think the first one of those things would be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he was never destined for the throne either. Why does this keep happening? It's almost like primogeniture is a horrible system. Okay, I will be quick about this. Okay. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert have King Edward VII. Uh-huh. He and Queen Alexandra have King George V. Y'all taking notes? He had an older brother, <laughs> Prince Albert, the Duke of Avondale and Clarence, and he was a homosexual. Oh, God love him. And he... He did a lot of drugs and got addicted to all the things and passed away. And it wasn't necessarily a secret that he preferred men's. And this was like in the 1890s and he like passed away prematurely and everyone was like heartbroken. And then George, King George V, who was the Duke of York, became the king. It could not have been easy being George's child. He literally, the only thing he would want to do with his children is have them stick stamps in his collection book. How fucking boring. I know. <laughs> and with all the boys, he was like, be in the Navy. And then all, and then to his like one daughter, he's like, eh. He was just a cold person. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not like he was loveless. He just was cold. George doesn't really like his oldest child, David. Um, They don't get along. They don't see eye to eye. They're very different politically, socially. Um, this is Bertie's older brother. This is Bertie's older brother, the Prince of Wales. Your darling brother and future king. The only wife he appears interested in is invariably the wife of another. He's broken off with Lady Furness. And taken up with Mrs. Simpson. A woman with two husbands living. I told him straight, no divorced person can ever be received at court. And of course we've come back to Miss Wallace Simpson. Okay, listen, I go back and forth on... You know what? No, I would like to revise that immediately. I don't go back and forth on Wallace Simpson because, no spoilers, she was a Nazi fucker. She was a Nazi fucker. And, like, as a woman, I want to feel bad for her because she is being maligned... Of course she is. ...in the imperialist British monarchy because she's a divorced American, but at the end of the day... She was a Nazi sympathizer, and I don't give a fuck about her pain. I understand that it it's hard to think about there being any semblance of choices for her in, right. in that time. Yes. I understand that 100%. But still, you're actively engaging in aiding one of the most evil powers, very directly aiding like, no, one th- of the most evil powers that has ever existed. This is not like a person in our time stumbling upon a white nationalist thread one time and then looking around and going, oh, I don't belong here, and then leaving. She was a Nazi sympathizer. She passed information between the Nazis and the British all the time. Like, fuck her eternally. And she's an American divorcee from Baltimore, Maryland. Good morning, Baltimore. Fuck off. We're passing information to the Nazis. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The thing about this is that Wallace was also very nasty to David. Really? Like, apparently very nasty to him. I'm not being a David apologist at all. Fuck David. Also a very direct Nazi who would have been, who was king of Great Britain for less than a year. And if you guys have watched The Crown, you know all about that mess. Uh, Marburg Files, guys. Look it up. Marburg Files. (laughs) I'm not going to go into detail because we just don't have time. 
Britain was absolutely traumatized by this event that's upcoming, the abdication. It's like it took them decades to get the fuck over the abdication. The thing is, the fact that his brother is pretty much teeing up to abdicate puts so much pressure on him because, you know, their leader is leaving them, yeah. the United Kingdom, and Bertie does not feel equipped to take his brother's place. No, no, he does not feel at all ready to do that, and he kind of wasn't. It really could not have been easy. No, not at all. And, like, the montage of elocution exercises, this is the future king of England. Lionel has no idea how he is going to impact future generations by counseling Bertie. You might be requested to assist in coping with with some minor event. Would that be agreeable? Of course. Shall I see you next week? I shall see you every day. Feel the looseness of the jaw. To watch this as a person who does not struggle with these issues, I mean, you know I've never had difficulty opening my mouth and saying exactly what's on my mind. Indeed, indeed. But, like, it looks so silly, all of the exercises he's making Birdie do. But parts of this are incredibly helpful to those who have elocution problems. A cow, a cow, a cow, a king, a king. can shout vowels at an open window can learn to deliver a speech. So yeah, things are getting worse with the Wallace situation. I love that when they're going to the lodge after David's king, and the thing about King Edward VIII is that he had horrible, nasty little nicknames for everyone. Oh, God. Like he would call the Queen Mother Cookie. Because he thought she looked like a fat Scottish cook. Oh, that's so rude. He called Princess Elizabeth Shirley Temple. That's right. I remember this from the crown. Yeah. And like, it's just, oh my God. He's such a, he was such a nasty person. This is where Bertie decides to pay Lionel a visit. Uh, you know, let's just talk. You know, haven't seen each other in a while. He's been a little busy dealing with, oh, I don't know, a state funeral and... <laughs> the accession of his brother and all this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, I've been practicing an hour a day. In spite of everything. I wasn't there for my father's death. Still makes me sad. I can imagine so. What did your father do? Uh, he was a brewer. Huh. At least there was free beer. Here's to the memory of your father. Actually, do kind of love all the headroom that they give both Birdie and Lionel in these shots because neither of their heads fill the whole shot at any given instance. And it's sort of indicative of what Lionel wanted all along for them to be on the same plane, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is where it gets a little serious. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, like, you know. I love when they set out on this treatment. Liz was like, listen, don't dig. <laughs> She's like, it is sufficient to deal with the shit that's on the surface. Do, Absolutely. Do not dig deep. Do not get personal. And we will get along just fine. Don't control those demons. Um, Lionel is choosing to disregard that advice at this time. <laughs> Good on Lionel. The simple act of asking Birdie. Does it feel strange now that David's on the throne? To tell the truth. It was a relief. 
knowing I wouldn't be king. But unless he produces an heir, you're next in line. And your daughter Elizabeth would then succeed you. You're barking up the wrong tree now, Doctor. Doctor. Even at this point, George does not seem willing to lean into Lionel's teachings, even though they seem to be helping, and he may very well be king at this point. Obviously, the only person that the king is interested in, he cannot marry. Exactly. Because he's supreme governor of the Church of England, but... He makes it kind of apparent to Bertie that he's going to do it anyway. Oh, no, yeah. Like, originally, Bertie's whole aspect on this was, hey, it's great that my older brother is going to be king because I'd probably suck at it. Yeah. And now that's not the case anymore. <laughs> like, he ain't got no kids. He ain't got no wife. And it's just not going to go anywhere but him unless David does something about it. And David's not going to do anything about it. <laughs> of course. I'm sure his mentality is like, well, you know, Henry VIII did this shit. <laughs> exactly. Why can't I just shake the church up, you know? <laughs> this is where Bertie reveals some things from his childhood that are just kind of uncomfy like how <gasps> yeah no i'm sorry him talking about the nanny when we were presented to my parents for the daily viewing she'd be she'd pinch me so i'd cry and be handed back to her immediately and then she would sing it then she wouldn't feed me far, far away. Failing to feed him? That was a person with a severe problem. Oh my goodness! And that was not uncommon. That's actually not so uncommon in these times where a lot of children were raised by other women yeah. that are not members of their family. Like, his privilege is obviously relative, but the fact... He's also heavily abused. Yeah, the fact that he didn't have parents who loved him, really, is something that many of us can relate to. Indeed. And, like, he... There were, like, certain corrections that the British establishment felt needed to be made with some of these children. Yeah. Uh, he had some knobbly knees, and he had his... Bones in his legs were kind of crooked. And so he had to wear these horribly painful splints that straightened out his legs. It was horrible for him. Gave him so many problems with his hips in later life. You know, he was he was left-handed and forced to write with his right hand. To learn to write with his right hand. Ew, why? Because it's improper to write with your left hand. Oh, off. I can't. That's obviously not true. God but damn like, it. But that is how they viewed that it was improper. It wasn't the right way. All these stupid arbitrary rules. They thought you were weird if you wrote with your left hand. Oh my god. I know. I know. It's absolutely infuriating. This is why I can't get interested in this part of history. He was also traumatized by his family's treatment of his youngest sibling. Mm-hmm. Prince John. Oh, yeah. No, one of my notes is, please talk about Prince John, because this is so beyond my knowledge. Prince John was very sick, and he passed away, I think, when he, I think he was 13. He suffered through several different ailments. He struggled with epilepsy his entire life. Oh, no! And Something that is not his fault! He died in 1919 when he was 13 years old. Johnny, 
a sweet boy. Epilepsy. And he's different. He died at 13, hidden from view. Imagine having to witness that, like, living in this state of immense privilege as a child and thinking, will they do that to me? Right? If I'm just wrong enough. Am I next? Will my parents put me in the back of the palace until I die? That's so fucking horrible. And, like, Lionel, I think, is able to see this all at once, even if Birdie himself can't, because he's never really dived into it before. And sometimes... The mental aspect of these impediments ends up being, you know, the code breaker. And that is something that Lionel understands, but it might not be so easy for someone like Birdie to cope with. Like, listen, I think without intending to, this film exposes the inherent vulnerability of the monarchy in the sense that people who are in no position to lead are suddenly tasked with leading just because they had the misfortune of being born first. Ross, look at me with both eyes. Can you imagine me running a country? No, honey. Yeah, but if our parents were monarchs, it would be on me. It would be on you. And I would have no choice in the matter. Everyone has a human right to their own self-determination. Absolutely. Except for them. I know. I do hate that for them. And I mean, like, you know what? That's not entirely true either because they can abdicate. They can. Members of the royal family are allowed to abdicate all of their privileges and become common if they want. Common. I I hate that. I hate even that's the way it's classified. When I'm driven through the streets and I see the, you know, the common man staring at me, I'm struck by how little I know of his life and how little he knows of mine. They can become commoners if they want. They just will lose all the support they've ever known their entire lives. How do you walk away from that? Yeah. The Sussexes kind of did. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's get on, <laughs> Oprah. Spill all the tea. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lionel's almost like this is about something else (laughs) (laughs) yeah something is something is making you think a whole lot right now and you know he's like take a walk with me and so Bertie and Lionel are walking and Bertie's basically just like listen man my brother is gonna marry this divorced American woman and he can't do it but he's gonna do it anyway and it's gonna wreck the entire establishment as we know it it's gonna ruin my life yeah and (laughs) And, like, Lionel's, like, basically is just like, hunty, preach. Like, (laughs) we both know you do a damn sight better than your brother at this. What are you so afraid of? Your poisonous words! Why did you come to me? You're not some middle-class banker who wants elocution lessons so you can chit-chat. Oh, don't attempt to instruct me on my duties. I am the son of a king. The brother of, of a king. You're the... Disappointing son of a blood. Jumped up Jackaroo from the outback. You're nobody. These sessions are over. Like, I know that's not technically racist, but it is definitely xenophobic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God. Hella. I'm like, damn, Bertie, you was quick to that. Oh, like, God. 
We're in Lionel's home. His wife and children are listening to the radio. He's sitting at his desk. And again, more headspace in all of these shots. I know, yeah. He's alone in the shot and he's talking to his wife. His wife tells him he should apologize to the, quote, patient. Because again, she doesn't know that he is servicing the future king of England. This is true. <laughs> this fellow could really be somebody great. He's fighting me. Perhaps he doesn't want to be great. Perhaps that's what you want. I might have overstepped the mark. Apologize. Be both good. Peter Pettigrew is here again as Winston Churchill. <laughs> Timothy Spall. He's telling Bertie that Parliament is not going to support Edward's marriage to Wallace Simpson. <laughs> this is I love this conversation because it's basically Bertie just going, but but <laughs> And Winston's like, listen, buddy. You're going to be the king, baby. And he's like, have you thought of what you'll call yourself? And the way he just starts stammering. Oh, bless his soul. Certainly not Albert, sir. Too Germanic. <laughs> what? What about George? After your father? George the sixth. There's a rather nice continuity to it, don't you think? And he's just choking on his own larynx. The pressure. And I'm like, oh, I can't even imagine that either. I, my next note is, and a five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, we're abdicating. The, the, the final plea. Like, David walks into the room and <laughs> Bertie's like, Please, 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 please don't do this. I, I, I'm, I'm begging you. Don't do it. It'll be fine. We'll find a way through it. And David's like, no, dude, I want to marry the woman I want to marry. A few hours ago, I discharged my last duty as king and emperor. And now that I have been succeeded by my brother, the Duke of York, my first words must be to declare my allegiance to him. This I do with all my heart. That's a thing we hear about in The Crown, right? Absolutely. The fact that Elizabeth, whether she believes it's actually true or not, kind of attributes the abdication of her uncle to her father's premature death. It did kind of kill him. It, I, I don't blame him! He, became, he started smoking. Became king, got way more stressed, and smoked himself to death. God damn it. Yeah, basically. Guys, December 12th, 1936, we're in St. James Palace. <laughs> we are in hardware. Yeah. He is, oh my God, how about that creepy moment where he's leaving 145 Piccadilly for the accession council and Lionel is out there? <laughs> like they're broken up, but he still came to see him off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he's in the car. He's driving away from Piccadilly and he sees Lionel out the window. George is in full garb. Oh, yeah. I, I'm saying George now. Ooh, because he's the king now. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Not Birdie no more. A bell rings. And he is shown in to his new advisors, 
these are great officers of state. Mm-hmm. This is the accession council. This is the regency council. We're also in that famous room that I talked about in the favorite, like <laughs> the the room that's from the great. Yeah. Like, what is that called? It starts with an H. That's that, at Hatfield House. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Like, this is, this is the monarch's acknowledgement by the state. That like, hey, I am the king. And like, now. I'm gonna just go ahead and say I'm the king until y'all coronate me. I love the way they shoot everyone watching at him from below. Because mm-hmm. like, I bet that's exactly how he's feeling, and he is stammering, and it is not coming out right. He hasn't been to see Lionel in a minute. They're broken up right now. I do genuinely feel bad for him. Like he is, and everybody is just. Everybody's so uncomfortable and just wanting him to do it. And they're trying to give him, God bless him. They're all giving him time. Yeah. But like, he's got all of his direct bloodline ancestors staring him in the face. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Interrupt? Like, all the portraits around the edge of this room that are just <laughs> his grandmas and grandpas. <laughs> and like, that speech to the accession council goes horribly. And then later that night, he's with Liz. The queen now. Yeah, she's the queen now. She's Queen Elizabeth now. And he is sobbing, and I cannot help but feel bad for him as a human being. (laughs) I'm not a king. (laughs) I'm a naval officer, that's all I know. (laughs) I'm not a king, I'm not a king. I'm sorry. I hate it when he's blubbering. He's like, I'm a naval officer. That's all I know. I am not, I'm a, not king. a king. Yeah. I, I God. And I, I, I love what Liz has to say to him. She's like, I refused your first two marriage proposals, not because I didn't love you, but because I couldn't bear the idea of a royal life. Couldn't bear the idea of a life of tours, of public duty, or well, a life that no longer was really to be my own. But then I thought, he stammers so beautifully, so leave us alone. So now we're going back to Lionel with our imperial tail between our legs. When waiting for a king to apologize, one can wait rather a long wait. (laughs) And Lionel is actually very nice about it because he knows George is literally battling a royal-sized ego. Indeed. And a lot of how this therapy works is getting over that ego because it gets in your way, right? Uh And he sees Bertie as trying to overcome that with this apology. Bloody mess. Couldn't even give them a Christmas speech. Like your dad used to do. Precisely. He's not here anymore. You don't have to carry him around in your pocket. Or your brother. You don't need to be afraid of the things you were afraid of when you were five. You're very much your own man, Bertie. Aw, that's sweet. I know. I love that this whole time, the queen is sitting at the table (laughs) in the room next door to them, just having tea to herself. (laughs) Shall I be mother? Yeah. To myself. While they're shut away in the other room talking. But guess who's come home early? (laughs) Myrtle! Myrtle's here. Lionel's wife! And literally, the way Lionel gets up and moves into the corner of the room where he cannot be seen through the glass door... 
And he asks the king of the United Kingdom to get his ass up and join him in the corner. Because remember, guys, Lionel has not told his wife that his principal patient... For, like, the last three years... Is the king of England! (laughs) So that poor woman comes into her own home... I love Jennifer Ella. (laughs) Sees the queen of England sitting at her dining table! The way her face goes from zero to a million, (laughs) she turns around and goes, It's your majesty the first time. After that, it's ma'am. As in ham. Not mom, as in palm. I haven't told her about us. Sit down, relax. I'm told your husband calls my husband Bertie, and my husband calls your husband Lionel. I trust you won't call me Liz. (laughs) What is is it that he said? What is it that Bertie says to Logue? (laughs) Logue, we can't stay here all day. Yes, we can. Logue, I need to wait for the right moment. Logue, you're being a coward. You're damn right. Get out there, ma'am. Hello, Myrtle, darling. You're early. I, I believe you two have met, but I don't think you know King George VI. Darling, I don't know if you know King George VI. <laughs> I love Myrtle so much. Will their majesties be staying to dinner? <laughs> <laughs> what does she have in the icebox? Liz is so class. She's like, oh, we'd love to, but alas, <laughs> previous engagement. The way Liz has taken to being queen. So fast. Oh, she is like, yes, baby. I am right where I belong. She is beauty. She is grace. She is not the queen of the United <laughs> States. No, she's not. Oh, my God. She is loving it. So Bertie's coronation ceremony is coming up, right? Yes. We're walk we're basically doing a dress rehearsal. We're walking through the coronation in Westminster Abbey and <laughs> What I love about this is that one of George's first instructions as future king to the Archbishop of Canterbury is that Lionel will be reserved a spot in the royal box with George's own family, which was wildly unheard of, right? No, yeah, a commoner in the royal box. Oh, the scandal. An Australian in the royal box. Oh, God. I I hate it. I can't stand it. I hate it it so much. Lionel clears everybody out of the area in Westminster so they can rehearse a bit without anybody watching him. Yeah. And this is kind of where we get Lionel's backstory because I think it's only dawning on Bertie now that this man is not a doctor. The Archbishop is like real shady about this, goes behind Lionel's back, does does a bunch of digging on him and brings it all back to the king. He's like, he's not a doctor. He has no credentials of any kind, no education. Like He was just an actor. This man might be taking you for a ride. So you never called yourself doctor. I did that. You asked for trust and total equality. Bertie, I heard you at Wembley. I was there. My son Laurie said, Dad, do you think you could help that poor man? What, as as a failed actor? It's true. I'm not a doctor. And yes, I acted a bit. 
Like, as you know, if anybody here has any acting experience, you know that elocution is a big part of that. Oh, yeah. And he's Australian. At, <laughs> yes, Ross. I know. He's that, an Australian actor. That is the part that the archbishop is stuck on. So he couldn't possibly have any redeeming value. But, like, here's the thing. Lionel, without any proper credentials, was able to help men who were returning from the First World War, completely shell-shocked, completely incapable of processing their own emotions, let alone articulating them. Mm -hmm. And he was able to help those men. He may be the Duke of York, but Father, can you help that man? Yeah. And, like, but the thing is, Bertie's so mad at him, he thinks he's ruined him. Oh, yeah, he's about to cry! Yeah, he thinks he's been completely taken for a ride. It just shows you how much these people are manipulated their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, when he's when he's crying, and when he's almost crying, he's like, it'll be noticed, King George the Stammerer. Mad King George the Stammerer, who let his people down so badly in the hour of need. He turns around. What are you doing? Lionel is sitting in St. Edward's chair. Do you want to, in under... No one but the Sovereign sits in St. Edward's chair. Okay, there you go. Ever. (laughs) It is... Ever. It's a holy place. And... And this Australian actor is sitting in St. Edward's chair. And Bertie obviously goes a little ballistic. This is my favorite part of the movie. (laughs) Get up, you can't sit there, get up! Why not? It's a chair. No, that is not a chair, that is... That is is St. Edward's chair. People have carved their names on it. chair is the seat on which every king and queen... It's held by a large rock. That is the stone of Schoon, you are are trivializing everything. That is St. Edward's chair. People People have carved carved their names on it. (laughs) People have carved their names on it. I love that. Because <laughs> people have. People have carved their names on it. It is just a chair. Like but, Niles loves Ella or something like that. He's doing this as a way. He, this is like reverse psychology to get him to express how much he actually believes in this. He's disarming him. Yeah. He said it's bolstered by a giant rock. And he's like, that is the Stone of Schoon you are trivializing there. You know what the Stone of Schoon is? Tell me. It's the rock which the kings of Scotland were crowned on. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they slid it in St. Edward's chair to be like, okay, Scotland, we're one now. Let Scotland be its own thing. Let Scotland be its own. I I can't. I Anyway. He's trying to rile him up so he won't think about the stammer. And it kind of works. I don't care how many royal assholes have sat Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to you by what right? By divine right, if you must. I'm your king. No, you're not. You told me so yourself. You said you didn't want it. Why should I waste my time listening to you? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice. Yes, you do. You have such perseverance, Bertie. You're the bravest man I know. You'll make a bloody good king. Archbishop Derek Jacobi is back to let the king know that Lionel is going to be replaced by a proper English elocutionist. And George, in his British way, says, hell no. Yeah, he's like, hey, you know that thing we talked about earlier? You can just disregard that. <laughs> like, we, we, don't have, we, we don't have to do any of that. Like, we're fine. We, we, we kissed. We made up. It's fine. <laughs> we kissed and made up. But here's the thing. Lionel never lied to him. 
That's true. Lionel never lied to him. He just excluded. <laughs> so a lie by omission. <laughs> no, here's Listen the thing. Listen to me. Oh, my God. No, George assumed he was a doctor. Every time Bertie called him doctor, he always said, it's Lionel. Exactly. He always corrected him. He didn't lie to you, bud. Like, he really didn't. You're just not listening to the important details, which might be relevant as a monarch of the United Kingdom. His majesty turns to the archbishop and goes, hey, get the fuck out. We're going to rehearse a little bit. And I love this little rehearsal sequence where they're rehearsing the oath, the oath of state that the monarch must take at the coronation. And will you, to your power, cause law and justice and mercy to be executed in all your judgments? Well, I will. Then there's a very long bit about upholding the faith. It goes on, rubbish, 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 to which you finally say, the things which I have herebefore promised, I will perform and keep. So help me God. And that's all you say. Four short responses. You know what my favorite part of the coronation is? When they walk the... (laughs) You shook your head at me. She's so mad at me. This is nearing two hours and we're not even done yet. And she has between now and Monday. And I have to pee. (laughs) So we are sitting down to watch the coronation reel. This was the first time that a coronation was filmed in British history was in May of 1936 when the coronation happened. I love that little fun fact about the coronation that he was almost crowned backwards. (laughs) Because they put a thread on the back of the crown that marks where the back of it is so the archbishop knows. Yeah. Because it's a crown. Yeah. It's got jewels all around it. It's hard to know where the back of it is. And you can see Cosmo Gordon Lang, like, turning it around. The actual Cosmo Gordon Lang turning it around on on film. <laughs> and the little Elizabeth. Like, oh, oh, that's not right. You nearly crowned him backwards, Archbishop. <laughs> <laughs> and then a newsreel comes up. And, uh-oh, it's Hitler. Oh, no. Yeah, World War II is starting. It's it's ramping up. It's definitely getting to be there. Like, this is something that you and I, as Americans, can fundamentally not relate to. Because I think you've said it in previous episodes, we have enjoyed the privilege of border security our entire lives. Indeed, yeah. And now this country is faced with the probability... And and we know from history the eventuality that Hitler and his forces are going to invade the United Kingdom. This is a turbulent time. This is a time when, as citizens, you want to hear from the person who's in charge about how under control the whole situation is. And you know who you don't want doing that? Mm. Someone who stammers. Yeah. That's everybody else's prejudice, but that's what you ideally want. Like, things are not going so well for the government. Stanley Baldwin, the prime minister, resigns. Oh, God. He's like, listen, it's getting crazy on the continent. I'm gonna not. So (laughs) this completely incapable last name, Neville Chamberlain's just gonna hand this country over to Germany, if you don't mind. Oh, my God. And, like, this is when also when Winston becomes First Lord of the Admiralty. He's getting closer to being Prime Minister himself. And so he's got an unstable government. A war they're about to be plunged into. And yeah, I would be feeling the pressure. I absolutely would be feeling the pressure. Just that broadcast alone where they're announcing the war. It's so sad because that's the actual broadcast Mm -hmm. that they use in the film. It's the actual one from 1939. This morning, 
the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Okay, your majesty, you're on at six. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody is really eager to hear from George, hear his voice, hear his confidence in the idea that the British government is going to be throwing themselves behind this conflict and defending their country. The, the barrage balloons are already in the air. Yeah. The fallout shelters are already being built. 99 red balloons. Yeah, yeah. Floating in the summer sky. <laughs> the way Lionel just has to show a card and like, Lionel Lowe, here to see the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lionel is being called in. It is a code red. It is a code red balloon. <laughs> Lionel comes in to give him prep work for this speech, Mm -hmm. this very important speech that's coming up, this address to the nation. And one of the ways that speech therapists allow you to get over your shit is by teaching you to swear in between words because it disarms you. (laughs) He's just dancing around with the speech in his hand, swearing between words. This message, do-da, spoken with the same depth of feeling, do-da day for each one of you, as if I were able to shit fuck bugger across your threshold and speak to you in your head now. I have a right to be bloody well heard. Bloody well heard, bloody well heard, bloody well heard, bloody well heard, bloody well heard myself! So this is it, guys. This is it. This is the big friggin' moment where he is supposed to address the entirety of the United Kingdom following a declaration of war from Hitler. This long walk to where he's going to record the speech at. <laughs> the quote studio? Yeah, the to the studio. The long walk to the studio. And guys, I shit you not, the area that they lead King George into to record this address looks very much like the studio we're sitting in now. I know, I know. There's blankets on the walls, heavy carpets on the floor. I just wish we could open a window. (laughs) I know. You know what I mean? Yes, it's so hot in here. And so, you know, this is only going to be about a five-minute address. Yeah. But, like, this is... The longest five minutes of his life. I think this is September 2nd, 1939. And th- th- they go in and, you know, they said, OK, three flashes of that light and you're on. But we're going to keep we're going to turn the light off because we don't want it staring you in the face, making you nervous the whole time. And Lionel's going to be in there with him. And Lionel opens up the window and the way he's just like, you just got to breathe. You're going to do great. I love Lionel in this moment. Log. However, this turns out. I don't know how to thank you what you've done. Knighthood. Forget everything else and just say it to me. Say it to me as a friend. 
Yeah, how gay. <laughs> I love that for Lionel. <laughs> I think he's got a soft spot for the king. <laughs> Ross! Who wants their teeth done by the Maki Dasan? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Um... <laughs> and I love how they're shutting him in there. They're shutting both of them in there like, well, good luck. 60 seconds, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and like, guys, the red light goes on and... The music. Oh, I know. But there's also so much silence. I know. From Birdie, I have in all capital letters, Birdie, you gotta say something. The entirety of the United Kingdom is listening. In this grave, our Perhaps the most fateful in our history. I send to every household of my her peoples. I had you listen to a little bit of this original recording. What did you think when you heard the actual recording? Could you tell that maybe he had some issues? I thought it sounds pretty consistent. It does sound pretty consistent. Like, And the- Lionel was there. Lionel was there. When it was happening. And like when you listen to the actual recording of King George giving this address, those dramatic pauses are there. And in those moments, because of this movie, you know he's choking on it. But he is being patient with himself and he is pulling those words up from his diaphragm. We have been forced into a conflict. For we are called to meet the challenge of a principle which, if it were to prevail, would be fatal to any civilized order in the world. This is one of those things that gets better as it goes along. It really does. And the thing about that is even with these dramatic pauses where he's taking his time, it still somehow makes him sound far more stately and regal. Kind of in the sense that Clint Eastwood talks softly so that you have to lean in to listen. He never raises his voice. Never. Absolutely not. And it's hitting me as I'm watching it this time. Watching him struggle to draw this out of himself, how important this actually is, because he's speaking to the entire empire and to all of these countries under the yoke of British rule, and everybody who lived on that side of the world is scared out of their goddamn minds. Listening to his voice come out of a radio. The Nazis are fucking coming. Yeah. (laughs) And they need to hear the voice of their king tell them that the British government has a grip on this. We gonna be all right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There may be dark days ahead and war can no longer be confined to the battlefield. But we can only do the right as we see the right and reverently 
commit our cause to God. If one and all we keep resolutely faithful to it, then with God's help we shall prevail. The way the queen just gives this heavy sigh of relief. When it's all over. Yeah. She she has tears in her eyes. Yeah. She's so proud of him. And you know, King George the Sixth from this moment on kind of gets held to the same standard of Winston Churchill, of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, of hell. At one point, depending on which how you look at it, Marshall Stalin at that point. But you know, yeah, I know, hate it. I'm hey. pulling on my collar, like, ooh, <laughs> absolutely not. But like, <laughs> people trying to save the world from Germany, they walk out, they do the little photo, like he actually gave it from the desk. I love that because he gave it in like that carpeted studio. But it, you can't take a picture of the king <laughs> shut in the carpeted studio with headphones on. So they take a picture of him at his desk, <laughs> yeah. to make it look like he gave it from there like he's speaking into these boxes that are receiving nothing (laughs) you know what it's a great british film it wouldn't be a great british film if it wasn't petering out a little bit yeah (laughs) like he goes out he waves to his public and before we get the credits we get a couple of final title cards King George VI made Lionel Logue a commander of the Royal Victorian Order in 1944. This high honor from a grateful king made Lionel part of the only order of chivalry that specifically rewards acts of personal service to the monarch. Lionel was with the king for every wartime speech. Through his broadcast, George VI became a symbol of national resistance. Lionel and Bertie remained friends for the rest of their lives. Which was very short. It's guy love, that's all it is. There's nothing gay about it. I love I love Lionel and Birdie and I love this movie. Like I, I listen I, I think that it is interesting to study this kind of perseverance in a case this unique. You're right. How many other people have the experiences that the British royal family do? You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> like that shit is whack. But at the same time, like we keep saying the dirty imperialists. And that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing, bud. And I was a little bit irked with you after this viewing because I did admittedly do a lot of belly aching coming up to this recording because I just, the first time around, I did not like this movie. It's okay. It's kind of boring. It is. It's full of men. It is. <laughs> it's full of imperialists. Like, not things that I would normally be interested in. But at the end of the viewing, I was was like I did really like that and I've been thinking about it all week why did I enjoy it that time and I think what it is is the entirety of Lionel's character Lionel who has no proper credentials does not have a doctorate has no formal training and his very important role in what ended up being a pivotal moment in British history, there's something about that that's beautiful to me. The idea that folks 
who are quote common and quote small can have that level of impact on a major world situation. I imagine you feel the same way about the hobbits. God damn you, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> was it really? Yes, it was! <laughs> God damn you, that's exactly what I was thinking. It would be nice to have a private thought in this Uh, relationship. That's amazing. I love us. (laughs) I love us. But yeah, even a hobbit, even an Australian with no doctorate... Stop! (laughs) ...can have a massive effect on the turn of the world. You did good, Lionel. You You did did. good. You saved that man from total ruin. He, He really did. You know? Can you imagine... If George had gotten on the air and completely fucked up, yeah, the world would have been so shaken by that. His brother, his Nazi brother, would have taken him over. Oh my god! I, I can't. Uh. All right, folks, kings and knights, kings and knights. Okay, well, we have got a doozy coming at you next week. Keeping in line with our theme, next week we are going to be covering the 1998 film, The Man in the Iron Mask. Right, it's not knights proper, but it's French knights. This is the late 90s Leo DiCaprio, you know, the hot one. The hot one! (laughs) Before he was problematic? Yeah, Leo DiCaprio (laughs) 2. I don't know who he is. I don't know who is being the sequel to Leo DiCaprio, but he needs to stop. But yeah, folks, we're going to be talking about another period piece. There's going to be great costume commentary. Carrie's going to get to bring Hugh Laurie on the show. Oh my fucking God! I'm so excited. I knew you'd be excited. Oh my God. I just finished my house rewatch. Oh my God. Oh God. In the meantime, guys, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. If you want more <laughs> British facts from Ross's History Corner, you can join our Patreon at the $5 Little Onion tier. <laughs> Is that your way of telling me you're not going to put a lot of what I said in the episode? Oh, <laughs> my God. Yes, guys, please come join us on the Patreon at the $5 Little Onion tier. We'd love, we'd love to have you as a supporter. And don't forget... Guys, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. Come and join this little watch party. Carrie Ann works hard on it. (laughs) Please. (laughs) She's just stressed because she has very little time to do this episode. Oh, my God. We we got behind. I know. It's okay. It's nobody's fault. I'm just going to take it in stride. We're going to, hey, take my hands. We're going to breathe. Uh-huh. And if you need anything in between, you let me know. <laughs> I love you for that. <laughs> More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. In the meantime, I'm stressed. I'm Ross. And as always, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mom. Sorry, Kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> Gothic news, Gothic news, Gothic news.